Welcome to the GamesNet Berlin Europe podcast. Here, we speak with extraordinary games industry professionals and listen to their story to learn all about what they've built and who they are. GamesNet Berlin Europe is the international games industry initiative of MediaNet Berlin Brandenburg, the networking association for the media, creative and digital industries in Germany's capital region. My name is Simon Oller and I will be your host for this program. This is part two of my conversation with Phil Hübner. Here we speak about his personal life, his motivations, what shaped him, and how he transformed over recent years. There is also a part one where we speak about Phil's career in detail. Feel free to listen to that one before or after part two. Either way is fine. You will find part one on the platform you're listening on right now. Hit that subscribe or follow button if you feel like it. In part two, we go over Phil's personal life. We talk about growing up in a single parent household, the importance of gaming and father figures in that type of setup. We share experiences on learning to enjoy life as young professional adults who come from financially poor or at least frugal childhood homes. And we touch on Phil's mental models and describe undergoing transformation, especially during his freelance period. And last but not least, there is kind of a personal redemptive arc as we reflect together on a tumultuous time on our shared career path where we find greater understanding for each other and what happened during a time that wasn't easy for both of us together. Definitely not an everyday thing on a professional podcast, so I hope you enjoy listening to part two of my conversation with Philipp Hübner. Part two with Phil Hübner. Welcome back. Thank you. Acting like, you know, two weeks have passed, you know, the, the thing gets released every two weeks. And now we can act like it's two weeks. Two weeks have passed. We haven't seen each other. Now we see each other again. Hey, man, how have you been? How's, how's, <laughs> how's it going? So good. We totally didn't just record part one and now jump straight into part two. It's been a long time. <laughs> Exactly. Um, <laughs> speaking of long time, I wanted to ask you a bit about your life. We talked about uh, your career, um, your company, a uh, lot of information. Let's uh, get a little bit more cerebral here and go um, go back to to baby Phil. Um, and I'm really curious: How did you grow up? Um, mm. Who were who are your parents? Um, What was your upbringing like? What influenced you? Yeah, so um, I grew up with, like like so many people in our generation, I'm, I'm born in 92. I grew up with divorced parents. So <laughs> so I grew up uh, with, with my mother um, on her own, essentially, and uh, two, uh, well, I, I want to say much older siblings, but I guess, you know, it, they're five and seven years older than I, so... Uh, it's definitely a big difference when you're 10 years old, right? Um, and uh, both of my siblings uh, moved out of uh, home very early on too. So it was uh, most of the time it was just me and my mother. Uh, actually, going a little bit further back, my parents are from East Germany. Um, so they actually fled East Germany in uh, <laughs> in the year that the wall fell. Um mm. So uh, not just in the year, literally in the week before, but obviously no one saw it coming, right? So um, oh, 
unfortunate so they, timing. They, uh, yeah, they took the struggle, right? And uh, could have just waltzed over a week later. Is that right? Yeah, it's very unfortunate. But so they, you know, they ended up as refugees, basically, right? There were refugee camps uh, back in back in those days in West Germany, and um, and a lot of uh, people's education didn't count anymore. Um, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on, on German history, but, uh, so that meant that, you know, my parents' education didn't count for anything in West Germany. So, um, especially after my parents then divorced, I grew up very poor. Uh, you know, my, my mother basically with three children, uh, working as a cashier. Um, so, uh, books and Uh, books and the PCs uh, that I had in my life were definitely my my escape from that. I would say, um, you know, I had um, I had an uncle who was a software engineer, um, so uh, there were always old computer parts. You know, he spent his entire salary every month basically on computer parts, so there were always old computers around. What a blessing! Yeah. What did you do with them? Did you get your hands on them early or? Yeah. So, um, you know, I started, I started building and playing around with them when I was like six, seven years old, I think. Um, and I built my first, uh, true self-built, um, that I, where I also bought parts when I was 10. Uh, so for my 10th birthday, I, I had saved up enough money to, to build a PC that was able to play Counter-Strike, uh, Source and, and things like that. Nice. That's good. How, how did you learn to save money? Um, so I uh, I had a I actually had a monthly a monthly allowance, not a weekly allowance, a monthly allowance of ten euros. Mm. Um, or uh, well, uh, it was actually also ten mark at ten ten marks before that. Yeah. Um, mark. Right. Exactly. So um, so you know it didn't change with the currency conversion. But um, I, I just had to save that, right? And I, uh, I got birthday money here and there and Christmas money here and there. My uncle, the software engineer, he was the kind of guy that um, when, when he uh, came, came by for your birthday or for Christmas, you know, he'd give you a handshake and he'd have, a, he'd have like a 20 or a 50 euro bill in his hand, right? That's that kind of thing. What uh, a legend. So that was, that was his thing because um, he usually forgot to buy presents, I guess. Um, so that's that, yeah, that's how I ended up saving. And I think my first PC build cost me around 400 euros or so. Um, and, uh, I was able to supplement it with some parts that my uncle had lying around. Was your uncle a great influence on you beyond, um, beyond, you know, money handshakes and computer parts? <laughs> did, he, did he teach you something? Did he talk to you a lot? Um, I would say I, I was, I was given the chance to, uh, learn from him when it came to, uh, some coding and things like that. And, um, uh, he, he got me into his company for an internship when, you know, everybody in like seventh grade or whatever does their first big internship, right. For a few weeks in Germany. Yeah. Um, so I was in his company actually, and I was learning how to code, um, as a part of his team. And, uh, so, so yeah, I, I would say from that perspective, definitely. I think it's so important to have somebody like that around, especially if you have, uh, no dad 
which which I grew up like that as well. To have a any male figure is so important to get kind of this balance um, in your life. I think mm. I also I also had a computer uncle. Um, it wasn't quite <laughs> quite like you, but uh, yeah, he's a, he's a CTO now in San Francisco, and it's like um, he he taught me a lot. We talked a lot about video games. He uh, was big into the Blizzard games. He showed me uh, Warcraft three. I wasn't that into it, but he showed me StarCraft. I was a bit more into it. Mm. Uh, we, but uh, yeah, he he. I always sat on his lap uh, my whole childhood, um, and we played games together. It was a wonderful time, and yeah, that's why I was wondering if you had this kind of relationship as well. I I, I can I can see that. Yeah. Um, no, and uh, you know what? Reflecting about it a little bit, I think you know he 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 moved uh, away from the city. Uh, to to live near where we were, and he took a job there, and he actually bought a big house uh, because he was one of the only people in in our family that had the means to, and he actually uh, allowed my whole family to to move in there and and live with them. So I think um, in hindsight, I think he probably actually had a bigger effect on my life and my well well being, I guess, than than I I might have uh, might have realized. Well, that's beautiful. I think you really need that. I think it's, um, I think the struggle you're in growing up um, with only one parent and as a boy without a father, uh, in in my experience, is like pretty underrated. Uh, it's it's like pretty bad in in many ways, especially. And I would love to talk to you about that more because, uh, well, especially if you're ambitious, because. I think that's something that characterizes you quite well. I think you're very ambitious. I think you you want a lot from life, as far as I know you. Mm-hmm. And um, we, if you listen to part one, which you should if you haven't, where we talk about Phil's career, um, I think it becomes quite clear in the story that you've been very uh, ambitious, you know, taking much responsibility in your life, um, it, always at a young age. I mean, we're both still at a young age. What... Um, can we talk a little bit about your ambition? Have you did you notice that early? Were you like considered, uh, I don't know, some kind of wunderkind or or something like that? Um, uh, to some extent, I was. Yeah, I was uh, in school. Actually, I was uh, asked to switch to like a, a special school too, uh, but I, I refused. <laughs> I wanted to be like the normal kids. Um, yeah. So <laughs> so you know, I refused, and I I, I did that, um, but. Um, you know, uh, my my mother not not to call her an unsupportive mother, <laughs> but she's always <laughs> been she's always been somebody to rein in my ambition, right? It's always right. been a matter of like, yeah, don't like don't get in over your head, uh, you know, don't don't have too high expectations, uh, yada yada, mm. and um, and I think part of my ambition probably comes from my life, you know, this lifelong experience of being told that. Where it's like, okay, you know what? I'm gonna prove her wrong. <laughs> um, yeah. And part of it, part of it also comes from this perspective of, uh, you know, obviously growing up the way that I did, right? Uh, where it's like, okay, you know what? You're gonna have to wear the shoes that your uh, older brother wore, uh, and and things like that. And it's just this matter of, um, even though I'm not planning to have any children right now. Uh, this this idea of I want if I have children when I have children I want them to live out uh, uh, or grow up 
without ever having any of these issues, without ever having any of these concerns. Yeah. Was it hard for you to like get your own stuff? Like when you, when you actually ended up making money, was it, uh, was it hard for you or did you go right, right to that, to like deck out your life a little bit, like you wanted it to? I think, I think I was, um, so funny enough, uh, in the first nine months that I was working at ESL, um, I was actually working as a, uh, intern on, uh, on 450 euros a month. And if you know anything about Cologne, <laughs> you know that living in Cologne for a hundred for four hundred and fifty euros a month on your own is not is not very easy. Um, yeah, you know I think my rent alone was three hundred and fifty euros uh, for my room. So um, I think one thing that it really taught me was how to manage my money and and how to how to get get along with not having so much and and not expecting too much. But the second that I had enough money to spend, uh, I definitely started and, and invested it in goodies that I that I've always wanted. Right. What What were those? Like some examples? Oh, it was. <laughs> to be honest, it was primarily computer parts. Right. <laughs> it was. Oh, it was, yeah. com oh, it was computer com Computer upgrades, things like that, uh, and f funnily enough, um, uh, kitchen stuff. Uh, you know, kitchen equipment, knives, uh, things like that, because I'm a passionate cook. So, yeah, sweet. Yeah, that's dope. No, I feel that because it's um, if you're not coming from much, I found it incredibly hard to 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 make things nice. But um, maybe that's another story. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, what kind of the the twilight zone. I have the feeling that between your your time at Twitch and between your time at Challenger Mode, that there was a a deciding uh, point in your life, somewhat of a switch. Um, maybe if that's true, if I'm not wrong, we can talk about that. Hmm. Yeah. So um, to be honest, you know, I went I went freelance during that time, um, and I dealt with the things that you deal with when you're a freelancer, right? Uh, so, uh, you know, definitely a lot of anxiety um, related to the un, uh, untimely payments of things and, and um, you know, struggling to pay your bills and and then uh, followed by a, by a severe panic attack when I first had to pay my taxes. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So... Um, you know, getting, getting around and, and figuring that out. And, and, you know, it, it definitely also, um, kind of grounded me a little bit again, because it, it was like, okay, I can do everything right. Like th that was my thought going, going out of Twitch. Uh, in fact, I can do everything and I, I'll be fine and, uh, whatever. And, uh, sort of the harsh reality of life hit me as a freelancer of, okay, this is not as easy as I thought it would be. And this is very overwhelming to run, um, to run your own business and try to try to uh, make ends meet. Yeah, I think as a little aside there, I think for us youngsters um, with their let's say first um, real job, quote unquote, you had ESL. For me, it was Twitch. Uh, it was a bit like a like a fantasy land. It, I mean, it was just 
we talked about this. Everybody had an open ear for you because you were at Twitch and it was huge. And um, there was no real hustle. Like ev everything, you, you thought you tried to get stuff, but really you were always Twitch. So everybody had this degree of uh, gravitation towards you. Well, more the company. And um, yeah, it was very like knife through butter, um, <laughs> like resistance level, aka not very much. Mm. And um, so it makes sense that there's a harsh reality afterwards. And, you know, how did that treat you? You said you think kind of in mental models. What, what, what were your mental models? How did they shift? What did they become? Yeah, so, I mean, um, I guess it starts with, When I when I moved back, I was like, okay, now I can I can live my my lifelong dream. You know, I bought a nice car. I lived in a huge apartment with uh, like a, a nice corner bathtub and and like speakers in the ceilings and dimmable lights and all the things that I always uh, wished I had in London, where standard of living is not that high. Um, where were you? Where did you live like that? Uh, just outside of a, a city called Marburg, which is a big university city. Yeah, my uh, my uh, a lot of my family studied there. Actually, I think I might have been conceived in Marburg. But yeah, there you also go. another. But yeah, okay, there we go. Um, and you know, one of the one of the first things I learned was that I actually don't want to live in Germany. <laughs> Why is that? Uh, I <laughs> I don't know. I I think there were some. Uh, some realizations about kind of the uh, the state of the industry and the state of the government and the state of technology in Germany, where it's it's still very far behind. Uh, sadly, sadly so. Um, uh, other other countries. So I, I really wanted to get out of there again uh, too. But uh, to to um, you know, I don't want to don't want to go away too much from the topic of of mental models, right? Yeah, let's go there. Um, so I think one of the one of the biggest things for me is this notion of and and this isn't just important for business. This is uh, probably even more important for life. Is um, putting yourself into into other people's shoes, right? And playing through the possibilities and playing through the 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 thoughts that people have going into their actions, right? Why do people do the things that they do? Why do people say the things that they do? Um, and never to take these things personally, right? Is is I think one of my biggest uh, biggest things, and probably one of my biggest pieces of advice too, right? Like if if somebody's uh, if you're if you're going to Starbucks and you have a bad experience with with a person working there, right? There uh, and you're going to get into a fight with them or whatever there's probably shit going on in their life that, uh, you know, that, that led to this, you know, it's not you, it's, it's, it's things on their end. Right. And I think that's hugely important. Um, and it's, it's what makes up basically the entirety of my worldview and how I go through the world. And that means you kind of, um, look at interactions and you, Is it almost like you remove yourself from them? You have kind of a meditative slash stoic, um, like third party view, or you I, don't take things personal. Or how would you describe it? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I, I uh, obviously sometimes it's hard not to think uh, take things person personally uh, in the beginning, right? 
Um, but um, I, I would say I, I am pretty removed from most most interactions, and I try to try to keep a level head always and kind of think through the possibilities and the the whys. Did you have kind of a tipping point, like a, like a defining memory, a defining situation that kind of changed your view? Mm, I think I think I was maybe uh, the opposite, actually. Right? Uh, I think even in my time at Twitch, um, I was very much, you know, a lot of people in this industry or a lot of young successful people, I guess, uh, suffer from imposter syndrome. Right? Um, And it's always this this matter of okay, you know what? I don't belong here. I I I don't deserve to be here, uh, and I don't actually know anything. And um, that was always coupled with an extreme level of paranoia on my end uh, and anxiety. I would say, um, and I I don't really know what the turning point was, but there must have been one. Where what was I, that? That paranoia and anxiety. Just to interject there for a moment, what, what were you afraid of? I think I think it was my entire career. For some reason, I was always afraid that I was actually doing a bad job and that I was a moment away from being fired. Oh wow! Um, like uh, in 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 all of my uh, my career at at ESL and at Twitch, and I don't I don't really know where that came from. And again, I don't know where the turning point was, but I think there was a turning point that did make me basically turn that around entirely and, and just uh, start thinking much more rationally about these things. Yeah. You know, that's so interesting. I mean, if you don't mind, maybe we can talk a little bit about, about our experience too, because um, we, we were kind of friends. We were kind of uh, were very amicable towards each other in uh, before the Twitch time. And the Twitch time wasn't really um, so so good to us. I think we wanted very different things, and there were a lot of confusions that that we weren't really responsible for. But I I can distinctly remember that time, and I was like, you know, what's Hübner doing there? What's going on? And now that you're saying this, just now when you when you're saying I was afraid all the time, I think people around you can feel that, and when you came back and you know you you came back to me a while ago and kind of said hey man I, i think things didn't go so well and i just wanted to say nothing personal kind of living out your that's what you said to me on a text living out what you just described not you know n n taking things not so personal also um means the opposite right like oh where might have people taken me personally where I didn't mean to, right? That that's kind of that. You kind of came back to me and said, "Well, well, you know, uh, whatever went wrong or something, I, I hope I hope it's all right." Which I found a very noble message, which which I really appreciated. And I could, in that moment and the subsequent times we met, feel that things were different. So, just mm. to mirror back to you, um, I, I totally had a different feel about you, and I think changing your inside perspective like you just described whatever the moment might have been or the timeline uh, i think has such a huge effect on how the outside world sees you you know for sure uh you know i think uh, i i think it's definitely it has to do with some form of validation right um maybe external but probably internal validation 
right? Just recognizing, okay, I'm actually good at what I do. You know, okay, I'm actually not as bad as I think I am. Things like that. I think um, that was a huge, uh, huge thing for me to to learn. And and again, I wish I could uh, could pinpoint the moment that that happened. But like you already said, I think it was definitely in the time where I was a freelancer, right? Where things did get a lot harder for me. And I think it's these moments where you're really standing in your own responsibility on your own two feet. You're kind of feeling the aloneness. You're not in a company. You can't, you know, hustle this guy or blame it on that girl or, or whatever. You're, you're kind of there on your own. You pay your own taxes. <laughs> and and um, you really uh, compare what you experience in the world to who you are inside and see how these things are causally related. Um, and, and I think that has a lot to do with solitude in a way with being on your own two feet. For sure. For sure. But I, you know, I, I think, um, and, and I'm sorry to, to take the, take the lead here, I guess, and, and take it to a, a new topic. Um, but, um, very related, I think then uh, the, the subsequent growth that I feel like I've, I've experienced. And I, I think that, that people generally experience did, did maybe not come from that, although it allowed me to, to start focusing on growth, but it also came from being given the opportunity to grow, right? Being, being given the, uh, the chance to learn and do things that maybe you didn't, didn't know how to do before. And, and, um, that to be honest, during the times when I was at Twitch, maybe I wouldn't even have trusted myself to do because I was constantly anxious that I wasn't even capable of doing the things that I was doing already. For sure. Who were the people in your more recent life that gave you opportunity? Who were your mentors um, who put you on the spot? Yeah. So a hundred percent, I, you know, I have to thank um, the co-founders of Challenge Amount for that. Uh, so Philip, Philip Scoxberg and, and Rebel Ephraim, uh, you know, they're, they're definitely today, they're like brothers to me. Um, and, uh, they, they've put a lot of trust in me three years ago. Um, probably more trust than I deserved at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I felt like I was given this opportunity that I had to, ex uh, succeed. Um, and I, I, I feel like I did and they keep, they keep, uh, you know, keep trusting me to, to this day. So, um, there's definitely some positive validation there too. And, and that's again, robbed me a lot of the maybe remaining anxiety that I, that I had. Mm. Let's, if, uh, it's not uncomfortable for you, uh, I think it's very beautiful to hear. I, I just want to kind of, um, get behavioral for a moment. What are you, what are you doing day to day in your job as the uh, CBDO of challenger mode or and in, in general as a business developer what what would you say you do that really works you already described in part one that you kind of are generous with your network hmm. um, maybe you know you raised a lot of money you're leading a team what what are the things it's kind of like anti-imposter syndrome right like tell me some good about you what 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 do you do that's good that works that people can appreciate and that has an impact yeah so i think i think there's two two key things to that one one of them is i am truthful right and 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 that um that comes across and people 
people uh, people feel that, and and that you know nobody feels like I'm I'm trying to stab them in the back, right? Nobody feels like I'm trying to to snake something out of them. Um, that truthfulness helps me helps me a lot in my job for sure. And the other the other thing is, I I believe I'm very genuinely very good and have been my entire life to be honest at getting people excited about something that I I myself am passionate about. Right? If you've ever uh, if you're you've ever heard me uh, try to convince somebody to play a game that I'm passionate about, like um, like Path of Exile, which is one of my one of my key games, you know. Uh, the the excitement in which I will try to convey why you should play that game, that's something that I take into my uh, my everyday uh, everyday life. Yeah, so honesty and enthusiasm. Yeah, for sure. Mm. And um, you know, uh, going going beyond that, you know, these are obviously two things that that are kind of attributes of mine. I think. Um, uh, you know, I don't want to sound super cliche, uh, but there's there's tons of business advice out there that is very true, right? Like if something takes less than five minutes, don't wait to do it, right? It's um, actually just genu- genuinely being thoughtful about the things that you do and when you do them, right? Like uh, it, it, it's a lot of uh, detail focusedness where I won't send an email at 10 p.m. at somebody's time, right? I'll send an email at 10 a.m. the next day instead because I know then it's going to land at the top of their inbox while they're actually looking at it. Uh, just little things like that um, that I think a lot of people don't pay attention to. Yeah, detail orientation, very nice. And what do you do um, every day that um, is good for you? Um Or another variant of that question: What's a beautiful day for you? Um, so uh, you know, coffee is a big, big part of my life. Uh, <laughs> I, I enjoy my coffee, and a, a good, a good day always starts with a with a good cup of coffee, not a bad cup of coffee. Very important. Um, uh, but I think I think a good day for me is always a day, a day in which I feel uh, productive. A beautiful day to you. What's a beautiful day to you? Not just good, beautiful. Um, yeah, I mean, a day in which I feel productive, in which I have um, uh, a lot of sort of these exciting external conversations, right? Uh, uh, where I, I meet business partners that make me excited about the potential. Um, uh, where, where genuinely I personally get excited about, about what's going on. Um, a good day to me also is, you know, a, a, or a beautiful day rather is a day in which I, um, you know, I see one of my, uh, my colleagues, uh, succeed in, in something that, you know, maybe I've seen them struggle with before or, uh, or maybe see them succeed in, in things that, um, maybe they are even surprised they succeeded in, right. Um, It's definitely a lot about um, seeing others make progress, I would say. I think that's very beautiful. Have you thought about purpose? Do, do you think you have a, have a purpose for your life, your being? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think about that a lot. And um, I, um, I think my, my purpose is, 
uh, is exactly that. It's to it's to help people become who they want to be. It's to help people succeed in in what they want to succeed in. I think I've always been a, a very supportive person, um, uh, especially to to my my friends and family. Um, and um, so I, I think something that I really want to focus on more in the future is exactly that, right? Helping people, helping people get better, helping people improve, helping people learn. Very beautiful also. Are there things in your life that you have let go that kind of you dropped that didn't serve you anymore? You know, a lot of things. Um, I would say, um, you know, alcohol is one of them. <laughs> um, I, I, I quit drinking. I quit uh, partying in general, uh, I would say, around five years ago. I think uh, accepting that I am an introvert and accepting that I am happier not always being out that, you know, that doesn't mean I, I don't enjoy going out once in a while, but, um, just generally not, uh, letting myself get forced to do things that I don't enjoy or, or don't feel like doing when I don't want to do them. Uh, that's, that's definitely, uh, been something hugely important in my life. Um, I've mostly given up sugar in my life too. And, it, you know, there's a lot of dietary things I would say that have improved my life significantly. Um, and I've, I've started, I've started working out, um, relatively frequently as well, which was definitely another contributor to me feeling better, uh, both physically and mentally. Uh, a lot of anxiety just kind of falls off when you, when you, when you work out. Yeah. You tend to forget what's bothering you when like you, you get into your body, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think Sometimes it feels like a lot of nervous energy just builds up and you you lose it when you lose when you lose some calories, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh beautiful. Very nice. Anything else you let go of? Um I mean in in the end I've uh you know I've I've let go of of partners that I wasn't happy with. I've let go of um you know um trying to stay in touch with certain people that maybe Uh, didn't make me happy, right? I think it's it's definitely a, a, about choosing choosing to be around the right people, choosing to live your life with people that make you happy and satisfy you and and give you what you need as a person. Yeah, that's sound. That's very sound, and uh, I'm very happy to end on this note. Uh, thank you, Phil, for your uh, earnesty and honesty. And uh, I feel I have a great redemptive feeling uh, when I listen to your story. Um, uh, like I said, it's uh, not just your story, but we we shared a good way of the story. So it's really nice to talk about, you know, e even more intimate things here. Um, so very grateful that we can do that and you're open to that. Mm. And um, yeah, thank you for that. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. You know, it was it was a great conversation. I, I really enjoyed Uh, talking about all of this and uh, although it's always a little awkward to just talk about yourself i think we had a lot of good conversation along the way nice uh, i wish you much love and peace and health and joy and uh, see you around and the last words are yours uh, likewise you know uh, you know obviously everybody should 
stay kind to each other, uh, take, take more risks. I think, I think that's something that people don't do enough. Get out of your comfort zone, do things that, um, you're afraid to do. Um, and, uh, yeah, next time, next time somebody does something that, you know, maybe pisses you off, think about why maybe they did that. I think that's a, that's something that everybody should take home. Very nice. And, uh, before I forget, Uh, you can find Philip Hübner at uh, P-H-I-L-H-U-B-N-E-R on Twitter and Medium for thoughts and writings and uh, on the podcast Esports Odyssey on all podcast platforms. And of course, you can look up Challenger Mode, Phil's company. Thank you so much and see you very soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to part two of this episode. If you haven't listened to part one yet, you could do that. And if you listened to both already, thank you so much. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast on whichever platform you may be listening on, so you can stay tuned for many more exciting games industry guests from Berlin and from all over Europe. So I see you very soon. Until then, take care, thank you, and bye-bye. Hi there. Before you go, this is Florian, Project Manager for Gamesnet Berlin Europe. If you want to stay connected to the network, find out more about upcoming events and links to other MediaNet initiatives, you can visit us at gamesetberlin.eu and subscribe to our newsletter. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast and until next time.